From Creative Force, I'm Daniel Jester, and this is the e-commerce content creation podcast. Kim Dermeyer of Burton Snowboards joins me for this episode of the podcast, and we discuss the role that location shoots with athletes plays into PDP imagery for Burton. Along with that process are complications that can arise and organization required to manage so many inputs coming from all over the world. So we did a kind of a mixture of produced studio on location campaigns, which is kind of an oxymoron, but studio team on location, as well as leveraging our existing campaign shoots, you know, which are following our writers at Jackson Hole at competitions or et cetera, and sending product to them and having them model it for us while they're also going out and gathering riding shots. Not much else to say before we jump in with Kim, so let's get into the episode. This is the e-commerce content creation podcast. I am your host, Daniel Jester. Joining me for this episode of the show, Kim Dermeyer, global post-production lead for Burton Snowboards. Kim, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. It is my pleasure, Kim. You and I met for the first time to talk about having you as a guest on this podcast. We had not met previously. You know, I, the industry can be pretty small. A lot of people's paths cross a lot of places. It's always fun and exciting to get to talk to people I haven't met before for the show. And you work for Burton, which I can't imagine that any of our audience doesn't know Burton, like legacy action sports, specifically snowboard. But I think they probably branch into a few other things here and there. And like many sports and outdoors brands, Burton has a lot of relationships with athletes, snowboarders, people who spend all of their time living on the sides of mountains. (laughs) And that means bringing in a lot of images. And with you being post-production lead for the entire global Burton team, I thought that that's what we could talk about today. There's some unique challenges that come with ingesting images from all around the world, from all of your athletes and your relationships with photographers that follow the athletes around. Or in some cases, the photographers probably are the athletes. (laughs) It gets all, it's the wild west out there. Totally. But that comes with a lot of challenges from a post-production standpoint. So Uh, To kick off this conversation, this episode of the podcast, I'm going to jump right in and ask, how does the post team at Burton handle this process? Can you walk us through what it's like getting images in from the field and sorting them, appending metadata, all the things that you need to do to get them usable and ready to go? Yeah, for sure. So our Burton has always used team writers and brand ambassadors in our campaign content, but new this year we've collaborated with our brand content teams and leveraged their existing brand photo shoots to also capture product photography on our team writers and ambassadors for our e-commerce product content as well. So that's been a new fun challenge. I'm not going to say that I am the expert on our long history of capturing campaign content and logging all of our metadata. We have an amazing brand photo editor, Pete Curiale, who has handled that process for many years. Gathering metadata on his end has been pretty essential, so he will come together and wrangle all of the on-location shoots, organize it, apply metadata regarding our athletes, the location that it's shot by which photographer, and kind of organize it in a way that it can then be cross-utilized for our social channels, our 
blog posts. All the places that you might need. All the places that, that you yeah. might need. All these micro channels of marketing that we have now. Social media is like 60 different channels of marketing. We need this specific image for TikTok. Exactly. So he wrangles all of the assets and organizes them in ways, distributes them where they need to go. And then new this year is adding product content to his list. So so it's not enough anymore just to be out there and capturing, you know, snowboarder coming off of a, I'm sorry, I don't snowboard, a ramp, <laughs> jumping, doing a jump. Sure, <laughs> all of the above. So, I sound so dorky and nerdy like I didn't spend my entire high school career skateboarding or thinking about skateboarding every day. But <laughs> our listeners know what we're talking about. Totally. There's the stuff that goes out in a Burton email blast. There's the stuff that gets posted out. But what's interesting that's sort of new is, okay, we need, we're going to need to shoot specific things and pay attention to shooting specific things out in the field because we're going to start using this content on the PDP. We're going to start using this to actually sell some of this stuff. And that's kind of huge. And sounds like what you're describing is there's already a layer of organization that's happening before things even get to your team, like a point person who's collecting all of that information. Correct. I'm interested to know over the years, does Burton have a formal sort of process or training that they introduce new photography relationships out in the field to, or does this person who's sort of the go between Burton at corporate and everybody who's out in the field, is that person just, they're just collecting raw data and then figuring out what works or, you know, I'm just curious, like, do the photographers get a brief? Do they get a set of standards? Are they naming things a certain way? Are they just out there snapping, running the GoPro, getting whatever they can? And then your person out there who's sort of the go between is then, kind of filing them into the process that gets fed into the Burton ecosystem of imagery. Yeah. So there's like a few different project management tool to like, and we have a creative director for each respective project. So in my realm, we do primarily our e-commerce content, but in their case, they might be also receiving guidelines on like a binding shoot where they need to capture a specific amount of shots. So we're pretty good about laying out the specifics of what types of images and how many need to be captured prior to a shoot. And then of course, for e-commerce, we have a pretty dialed system of, okay, we need front, full body, three quarter, back, four, oh, deep, for sure. you know, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And yeah, this whole system, this whole process was pretty new this year regarding capturing e-commerce content, but we have an in-house creative director who did an amazing job providing all the photographers. I think I counted, we had seven photographers in nine different locations to shoot this one collection, which is our AK collection, which is our premium on snow and off snow technical collection. Hmm. Let me, I should actually back up and ask the question because this is purely, I'm realizing that I'm probably missing part of this from my own ignorance of how a lot of brands that work with athletes out in the field kind of work. But it sounds to me like this more recent effort, these were coordinated and planned photo shoots that took place on location. Mm-hmm. Does Burton also like, is there also the type of content that's being produced by Burton out there where it's just photographers are showing up at various snowboarding events around the world and okay this person is a Burton athlete so I'm going to get shots of them during this competition during this downhill whatever is it 
some of column A and some of column B. Some of them are planned photo shoots that just take place out on location, which, you know, is very easy to understand what that looks like. I think I came into it kind of assuming a lot of it was the second one, which is like, I'm a photographer and I'm following this person who's just out there writing or is part of this competition or is performing some exhibition somewhere. And we're dual purposing the content from that event. Is that accurate? Is it more of one than the other? Is it shifting? Yeah. So that's exactly right. We have two content teams. One's our brand content team, which will capture more of our campaign assets, which can be both, okay, we're covering our team writers competing in an event or going to a team offsite or showing how they, like, it can be a mixture of more planned content and more organic content, I guess you mm. could say. And then we also have our e-commerce studio, which is where I am the post-production lead and that will capture more of our product content. So the exciting sure. thing that we have done this year is collaborate with the two teams to produce product photography in addition to the brand's planned campaign content. Right. So we did a kind of a mixture of produced studio on location campaigns, which is kind of an oxymoron, but studio team on location, right. as well as leveraging our existing campaign shoots, you know, which are following our writers at Jackson Hole competitions or et cetera, and sending product to them and having them model it for us while they're yeah. also going out and gathering writing shots. Very cool. So when you're, you've got shoots that are being produced all over the world, presumably. You've got people out there who are following the snow to wherever they can find it. Mm-hmm. What kind of complications arise for the post-production teams from just all these various inputs and outputs? You know, our listeners of this podcast are seasoned production professionals, so it's probably a, a healthy chunk of the usual stuff, missing shots, swap out decisions that were maybe made on location that didn't get communicated all the way through. What are some of the complications that you've experienced with your team from working with, you know, a vast set of imagery that comes from all over the world from a lot of different inputs? A lot of what you said was true for us as well. From a post-production standpoint, wrangling images from many locations, you have a lot of instances where there's duplicate efforts. Maybe the same jacket was shot in Japan that was also shot in Iceland that was also shot in bald face and we have to kind of dissect and figure out and communicate upstream to the creative director. Okay. What was the intention here? Which talent best wears a product? So like a lot of back and forth communication there. And additionally, having a mixture of different lighting scenarios and weather of course is a huge factor in an on snow on location photo shoot. Mm -hmm. So just being able to, from a post standpoint, retrieve the creative direction and then make sense of it with the assets that you're receiving without having the knowledge base of like, okay, we're going for above tree line, but we were, the shoot was like totally socked in. So we didn't accomplish that or like, Mm. Above tree line sounds like an industry specific term, right? Like you're, <laughs> you're way up there and it's just rocks and snow. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that, so, yeah. I mean, that makes a lot of sense, though. You're getting a lot of inputs from a lot of different places in, you know, whoever's receiving these images, mm-hmm. especially if you're shooting the same garment or the same product in multiple locations, then needing to basically tell a coherent visual story. Your customers are smart, so they're not going to not not that it's the worst thing in the world for the PDP to have something above and below tree line or in one part of the country or another or in a place that's recognizable. Mm-hmm. But you are still like we are still striving to tell a coherent visual story. And that seems like that's probably a big part of of your team's role when you're receiving images from all around the world is like we have to we got to sell this snowboard and we want to tell a coherent story in order to get our customers to decide that they need to buy it. That was a big I would say a fun challenge too, because it's like, all right, you're taking this huge body of work and then distilling it down to meet the creative direction as best that you can. So yeah, it was a lot of wrangling of images from all over the place with a lot of different photographer styles and then fitting that into a mold of your traditional e-commerce and kind of reimagining what that looks like because hmm. you're not always when you're have an on location shoot, there's so many different factors that you don't have in a controlled setting in a photo studio. So maybe you're not capturing the same 10 shots that you normally would get, or maybe your front three quarter image is cutting off a piece of the garment and kind of letting go of our previous their perception of what is acceptable on a PDP and rethinking like, okay, how can I make these photos the most interesting and tell the best story while also assuring that all of the product data that's needed on an e-com page is in there. And that looks a little bit different when you're shooting product photography on location. Yeah. It's an interesting thought that the art director's, probably have to make a lot of exceptions (laughs) Uh, when you know when your athlete is in your apparel or whatever the product is if it's the board the bindings the apparel whatever it is Mm -hmm. uh, and launching themselves off of a snowy ramp at you know however ten thousand feet up this mountainside you might need to like let go of this little wrinkle here that little wrinkle there the fact that the burton logo is slightly obscured by their hand because it's, you know, this is a, at the end of the day, this is a dangerous process. Like, I mean, a photo shoot can be a situation where safety needs to be paramount. And then you add into it that your talent is launching themselves either through the air or down a snowy slope. There's mm-hmm. a lot of give and take that comes with that, I would imagine. Totally. And one thing that we totally removed from the equation is our creative direction for this shoot was we want to see the product in use, how it would be utilized. So we kind of got rid of the idea of like, okay, this needs to look brand new, removing Hmm. wrinkles and dirt and dust. And why don't we try selling the product, showing it in its authentic, the most authentic way that we can, which is on our team riders, using it to snowboard and be Mm -hmm. out in the elements. Maybe we're actually featuring the pooling of like, our waterproof fabric and maybe there's some dirt on it because they just had a big crash and <laughs> that's maybe okay. Just covered in snow and pine needles. That would be if, if I was cast as a model on one of these, I would just tumbled <laughs> covered in snow and pine needles. 
I envisioned a world, exactly. Kim, where some somebody on the team comes to you and is like, hey, the end of this snowboard and this whole part of the forest and this part of the mountain got accidentally cut off. Can you just rebuild that in post-production? Uh, well, time will tell, but I'm hopeful that we'll have a little bit more leniency there. And hopefully yeah. one of those 20 different scenarios where we shot the same jacket will have other, <laughs> other enough, images enough to pull information. From yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just relying on content aware, Phil, and you're like, hey, whatever content aware gives you is what you get. That's the best <laughs> I got. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but that is a good point of like, there's a lot of downstream implications too that we had to consider as well in planning this shoot. And I think it was really important to rope post-production into it early on in the process to be like, okay, maybe we're not, you know, maybe the e-commerce team was more hopeful for their more traditional shots. And then being able to be the facilitator of that information of this is what's expected downstream. This is what's expected upstream and kind of taking on that role of where can we meet in the middle to provide the assets that will serve both parties. Mm. I think that's something that ends up falling in a post-production artist's hands more times than not. Yeah, that's a great segue to the next question that I wanted to ask, which is what other things have you learned about this process that might be valuable to other post-production team members out there who are getting ready to embark on this kind of an effort or just might be valuable to them? Yeah, I would say getting your post-production teams involved in the conversation from the kickoff point is a huge, was huge for us because it allowed us to plan for all of those like granular tasks downstream that one might not always consider when like we have this cool new creative direction and like rework. So an example, like, oh, what does it mean if we aren't delivering a consistent number of images across a category for our e-commerce teams? Like the discussion needs to be had on how we're reimagining exposing imagery on our website and the process of product load and how we're naming photo assets so that we're assuring that all of the work that we create actually gets displayed. Great information and great answer, Kim. And I really don't mean to change the subject on you, but I was also just dipping into Burton's website here to look at some of the, I think I'm looking at some of the 2023 season stuff. And I'm learning for the first time here on this podcast today that snowboards have a personality. And I think that is very cool and interesting. The one that I'm looking at specifically is soft and playful. But other personality (laughs) types include happy medium and stiff and aggressive. Uh, (laughs) And there's like, this is really interesting. There's terrain, there's a terrain sort of map kind of thing here. And if I'm understanding this correctly, and this might be an interesting exercise for the Burton team, because I know nothing about snowboarding. So (laughs) park rating is a three out of 10, which makes me think it's not well suited for park riding uh, versus all mountain nine out of 10 Mm -hmm. and powder four out of 10. And I'm interested, like, I guess powder, powder kind of is self-explanatory. I'm curious how all mountain is different. Maybe that's just a mix of snow types on the mountain. Maybe you don't want anything too soft. Um, But I'm looking also at a shot of this really beautiful snowboard stuck in the snow in this like kind of alpine area. And kudos to you guys, your team, Kim, because the colors are spot on. The colors are spot on between the studio shot and the, the location shot. Awesome. And it's really cool. It's really, really cool. That's great to hear. 
One of the things I love about creatives that work for a company like Burton that have their market segment is like what an expert every person at every part of the company becomes in the product that they sell. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that most of you all snowboard. You're in, where are you? You're in Vermont, Kim? Is that, that's not right. Is it We're right? in Burlington. Yeah, that's right. We're in Burlington, Vermont. And so they insist that you're out there with a board once a week or something, right? Like, <laughs> maybe not now. Maybe in insist the is a strong word, but strongly encouraged is, is accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about this the other day. We had another conversation with another podcast guest about how I was wondering if this is unique to photography. I'm sure there's other types of roles out there that behave in this way. But an interesting thing about photographers and post-production team members, retouchers, if you want to use that term specifically, mm-hmm. is that we're always investing so much of ourselves and our spare time into improving the work that we can do. Like when I was a younger guy at another company and I was a supply chain coordinator. I wasn't going home and studying supply chain theory or anything like that. But as a photographer, I'm going home and I'm like, okay, what am I going to shoot now? Like, what am I going to work on? What am I going to do? And Mm -hmm. as you know, I imagine it's similar with retouchers. It certainly is true for me. Like, let me sit down with Photoshop for a while and figure out how to do something. And the cool thing about that is that, you know, in some ways it's almost like I'm not referring to photography or post-production as a hobby, but it is one of those jobs that like people feel really passionately about and they really care about the craft of photography and retouching and stuff. And then you also get to learn how to be an expert in the thing that your brand sells. And I just think that that's really cool. Oh, 100%. I mean, yeah, I could geek out on how to best retouch whatever it is all day. I'll just like go on crazy tangents. And I, (laughs) as nerdy as it is to say, could say the same thing about like, processes and like damn applications and like different yeah but yeah do you ever draw workflows out for yourself do you ever have like a notepad somewhere where you've just drawn a workflow out just oh yeah like you were sitting around doodling and now you have a studio design that was you know pretty much my entire winter we were late with our sample arrival and had a slow season and I was like how can I redo the whole thing you imagine (laughs) it (laughs) I, we were we talked a little bit right before we started recording about the effectiveness of note taking. <laughs> Despite <laughs> the fact that I shared a story that betrays how effective my note taking is, I do try to take you know I keep a pocket notebook. I have been less good about it since I started working from home than when I used to like you know leave the house every morning and make sure I have my keys, my phone, my wallet, my notebook, my pen. but I have like old notebooks that I will sometimes occasionally go to reference stuff. And it's always surprising to me, the kinds of random set designs that I was like some, I got some kind of a bug up my ass to like redraw the whole workflow for a studio somewhere. Yeah. Uh, That's, and you know what, that makes great LinkedIn content because that's all we are now. Content, (laughs) content, 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 content. content. Kim, one thing we're right about at time for this episode. Thank you so much for for sharing your insight and the things going on at Burton. I think it's really interesting and cool. And to our listeners, keep an eye on what Burton's doing on their website. We're going to be seeing a lot more action shots, a lot more location shots in the PDP talking about, you know, like the epitome of agile imagery. We're shooting this stuff anyway. Let's use it where we can sell it. Totally. But I want to commend you. Your background is really cool to me. I love looking at your LinkedIn. You've been at Burton for a long time. You've really worked your way up at Burton. You live where Burton is based. It's super cool and exciting. And I'm just like, I can feel that coming from you that like you're right where you want to be and you're working for a brand that you grew up around and you care about. And I think that's really cool and commendable. And you had a great career and I'm, I'm happy to see you succeed. 
Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's a unique requirement for a post-production artist to also need to be able to snowboard. So a fun thing about my job. Yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on the show and we'll hope to talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It was great chatting with you. That's it for this episode of the e-commerce content creation podcast. Many thanks to our guest, Kim Dermeyer, and thanks to you for listening. The show is produced by Creative Force, edited by Calvin Lands. Special thanks to Sean O'Meara. I'm your host, Daniel Jester. Until next time, my friends. Hi, Ian. Yeah.